Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning, 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific, and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Mysterious events surround two travelers as they make their way across a remote American landscape. On the surface, all seems normal. But what appears to be a simple vacation soon turns into a dark and complex web of secrets. The film is called The Strange Ones, and it was an award-winning film at the, uh, the 2017 South by Southwest Festa Film Festival. It was awarded special jury recognition for the breakthrough performance for James Friedson Jackson. It And, and it is... Uh, it is a film that will keep you guessing, keep you in terms of your interest level and wondering how this is going to play out. It is a moment-by-moment experience and a, a, a wonderful film. And we are fortunate to have with us the co-directors of the film, um, The Strange Ones, and that would be Christopher Radcliffe and Lauren Wolkstein. Thank, thank you so much for being here. I'll start with you, Lauren. Explain wh- the origins of the story uh, behind The Strange Ones. Sure. Um, well, Chris and I went to film school together at Columbia University in New York, um, and we wanted to make a short film for our last year there before we graduated, and we wanted to make it together. Um, so that's where the origin of The Strange Ones came from. We made a short film that based was based around three characters in one location, and in the feature that's kind of the motel sequence that you see um, was extracted from the short. Um, and we wanted to tell a story that's based on, was based on a bunch of true crimes that were being researched at the time. And um, it's not based on any one specific true crime, but an amalgam of several different ones. Mm-hmm. And um, we started with the short film, okay. uh, wanting to make this short. And as we were writing the short, we realized that there's all this, backstory and material and, and, and rich material with the characters that decided to expand it to a feature. Um, but it came after um, we traveled around with the short, got a lot of audience on the short. And it was, what we really loved was that people wanted to know more and responded to it and, and wanted to know who these characters were. And we had done a lot of the research to make the short, so we kind of knew where they were going. And it was a natural progression. To write the feature. Mm-hmm. Well, Christopher, in, in terms of expanding, I mean, as as uh, Lauren described, but to, in terms of uh, expanding this to, a, I believe, an eighty-two minute film, um, what were the sort of the the greater challenges in in regard to expanding it? Um, yeah, it, it was. There definitely it was a challenging um, sort of process to. To move from a short to a feature in terms of the script and um you know i think it was mainly because the short film um the thing that there was kind of like the initial seed of the short like lauren was saying was that we we knew we wanted the the short to have like a, a very distinct feel and a very distinct experience of watching it where you didn't quite know what was coming next or what was you know who they were and like there were certain things that were left um, unsaid that kind of created the tension in the short mm-hmm. and and we really loved that about it and we didn't 
want the feature to be different. We wanted the feature to have the same quality of kind of like um, not knowing what to think, sort of playing with the concept of ambiguity, but in a dramatically fulfilling way, not necessarily in a vague way. Um, so to, to figure out, how, you know, to do that in a 15-minute short is relatively easy because it ends when it ends. And, you know, you can leave a lot sort of unsaid very naturally. Um, with a feature, you know, you have, you know, 80 to 90 minutes to fill and uh, it's just a taller order and you can't, you just can't leave the audience sort of like um, hanging as much, you know, you do have to give more information. And I think like just kind of figuring out the paces that the story would go through and the, and the, um, the narrative and the plot that initially was um, the most challenging thing because we had this like large backstory you know, your first instinct maybe as a writer is just to explain everything and really dive into the backstory and sort of uh, tell everything in a very straightforward way and just get through all the information. And um, that was kind of counterintuitive to what we wanted to do. So so it was a process of kind of knowing what the backstory is and... Um, and uh, but but to how to filter it through kind of this vision that we had of this sort of mystery that unfolds the way it does, where it's very subjective and it only gives you the information that um, that the uh, the main character Sam, the fourteen year old, um, is really seeing through his eyes. So I think that was probably the hardest right. aspect of it. Right, and you're absolutely right I, in terms of the storytelling. And I do want to get into the story a little bit here. But before we do, sure. I would also assume that in making going from a short film to the the longer length film that 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 you have here, that you the the canvas is wider. The ability to kind of flesh out the style that you use in the film. There's a lot of um, what I call space in the film for for an audience to kind of you know, wonder it, there, there is in, in terms of the dialogue, in terms of the action, you give, you give us a lot of time to ponder what's going on here and coming, trying to come, come up with a, an explanation in our own mind, which then is either confirmed or rejected by what happens after that. But it, it's a kind of film where you're as an audience, you're, you, you're given that opportunity to really kind of involve yourself in ways that, bring you, you know, as a listener, I mean, as a listener, pardon me, as a viewer closer to, to what's going on on screen. So uh, that I appreciate it. Cool. cool. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the story itself. I mean, we have the story of the 14-year-old. Here Here we have uh, Sam, who, uh, go ahead, uh, Christopher, just jump in in terms of sort of explaining some, some of the nuts and bolts of, of what's actually going on in Stranger Ones. Um. Well, or how much do how much do you, you want to? <laughs> I guess that's yeah. the question. How much um, do you want to say? That's the big question. Yes. <laughs> we never want to say too much, right? <laughs> Feel free to to not tell me very much if you don't want to, and I understand completely why you don't you know wouldn't want to. Uh, right. But it's safe to say we've got Sam and Nick in a car, and they appear mm-hmm. to be going on vacation of some sort, right? I mean, is that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Right. So, like, um, that's basically it. Like, it's hard to really explain um, what the story is because the process of watching the movie really is based around just sort of seeing what's on screen and kind of letting it unfold. And um, it's a little bit of a uh, experience for the audience in that way. So, like, um, we, we we always have a little bit of a hard time kind of 
summing up the story for people. But I think um, on the surface, like what the audience is given is, you know, yeah, you see like this 14 year old kid in this um, uh, in a car with this older guy. They're on a vacation, so to speak. They're they're telling people that they're brothers um, that, and that they're going camping. Um, and that's true to an extent. Um, but as the story goes along, you find out that there's there's much more sort of story to it in terms of where they're coming from, why they are on this journey, and what their sort of destination really is. Um, you know, you find out that there may or may not have been a violent sort of crime that um, that they might be running from, um, and in terms of what exactly unfolded and um, sort of what they're hiding, you know, that's that's part of the fun, I guess, of the movie is just sort of watching it and kind of like being, like you said before, kind of like being given like the space to sort of observe what's happening and figure out um, yeah. kind of like what their story really is and, and to experience it. Like, like I said, it was really important for us to, to craft a subjective experience we were given pretty close to, like, you know, we weren't necessarily interested in just figuring out how to exposit this backstory. We really just wanted to um, present a very experiential kind of subjective uh, way of uh, experiencing the story, you know, where it is very tied to Sam's uh, experience and you see what he sees, you hear what he hears. You don't know, nothing is ever said just to explain things, you know, it's, in that way, you are sort of required to play detective a little bit. Right, and, right. you know, we love that in movies, and so that's sort of what we were trying to do. Lauren, <laughs> there, Lauren, there's things about the characters, uh, Sam and Nick, yes. the, um, that they uh, their relationship, uh, at times Sam, who's about 14 years old in the film, um, says things to to Nick and to others that are so completely mm-hmm. inappropriate for someone of his age and and things that they're sort they're, I guess what I'm trying to say in a in a bad way <laughs> I'm sort of getting trying to get to it is the dialogue itself is at times uh kind of a mind messing they me, you're messing with me right. even with the dialogue in this film yeah so it's happening on a number of levels it's happening kind of uh visually story-wise and and then in the dialogue itself was this something i mean you must have really had to spend a lot of time sort of plotting out how you were going to make this film how to literally put it on film is that is that a was that true yeah i mean going off of what chris said about creating this subjective experience with a 14 year old um it was really important for us to have these rules that you know, whatever a character says it may or may not be true, but whatever you see, whatever we actually film is true. What your experience is real because it's a real experience that's happening to Sam. Mm-hmm. But whatever comes out of their mouth uh, could be construed as true or could be, you know, somebody could be lying. Uh, just as in real life, you never know what's, what's really true when what people are saying. And um, so for us, that was really important to, to maintain that ambiguity uh, from scene to scene to create, to craft, um, to craft the film and the story in a way that we would present multiple interpretations given any given scene. Um, the characters knew exactly who they were and what their backstory 
is or was, but like what Chris said, it wasn't really important for us to explain that backstory in a way that was very conventional or more of like a whodunit mystery, like let let us tell you what's really happening. It was more about experiencing this journey with these two guys and really trying to have the audience figure out what is really happening between these two characters and is what they're saying true to people or is what they're saying not true. Mm -hmm. Because if, if we were experiencing it with them, if we were on the journey with them, then it would be clear that things are very confusing for Sam, um, for what he's going through and what's happening. And at times he doesn't really know uh, what's real and what's not real. And so for us, it was really important to craft a story that we're grounded in his subjectivity and grounded in his understanding of the world. And for him at that age and for what's happening between him and Nick, it's very confusing for him. And we wanted an audience to feel that and experience it in the way that Sam is. So every information that we're presenting is presented through Sam's point of view. And that was really our guiding principle for moving forward in terms of how he speaks, in terms of um, what he's seen and how he's behaving. It's all his own experience about who he's trying to manipulate at what point or what time or who, what he's trying to get from other people and what he's experiencing. So that it was really important for us to craft it in a way that, yeah, the di- like what you're saying, the dialogue, everything that's being spoken could be interpreted different yeah. ways. I feel like this is a film that really begs to be seen a, a couple of times, and and I think it in the, on the second viewing, it it really kind of reveals uh, a lot more in terms of your understanding of what's going on. But that aside, and by the way, the film, uh, by the way, we're speaking with um, Christopher Radcliffe and Lauren Wolkstein, and the film is called The Strange Ones. It's been on uh, Directv. I think it's currently on Directv uh, on demand. And it was opening to, uh, today here in Los Angeles at the Lemley uh, Film Center in Santa Monica. So check it out, The Strange Ones. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this, uh, the film style. This film this feels like a film in which it, it sort of the references to other filmmakers in terms of people who have influenced you in your, in your um, sort of aesthetic. And the second thing is the music in the film, which I find to be very – it was a very interesting – dynamic because for me often the the music would pull me out of out of a, a scene and in a way it was sort of a marker i, I, I don't know if the vis, the uh, audio design was to do that but there were times when i'm watching a scene and then the this kind of uh, almost 70s kind of music or i don't know quite how to characterize it but um tell me a, let's go back tell me a little bit about uh, either one of you let's start with you lauren sort of influences the film feels like other films in the sense of that sort of look of it and feel are there are there are there filmmakers that you sort of uh use as a kind of um stylistically sort of reference to or yeah i mean um we definitely wanted to create this distinct style with the visual aesthetics and and we always talk about um the way we shoot the film is kind of a way for an audience to lean in and lean forward and try to discover more with, with the slow zooms that we use. Um, <clears throat> there are a lot of films that we watched um, that we were influenced by. I think specifically for this film, it was really important to create an ambiguity that felt like it was part of the world of the film and not um, not just trying to plot something that kind of... Um, you know, like I said before, like a whodunit or yeah. like a big reveal or plot twist, but more of like films that in their basic fabric, it was all about dreams and reality and 
um, for us, there are a lot of different filmmakers that we look to. Um, Peter Ware, uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock, mm-hmm. was a big influence for us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Ray Robert Altman shoots um, Three Women was a big influence. Um, and then in terms of content, there was a, a lot of other films, like we, we always reference The Return, the Russian movie, mm-hmm. um, which was also kind of this laid out mystery um, that had this very specific tone and you never were quite sure who to believe or who to trust. Um, and, and those were important influences for us. I, I, I wouldn't say there was just one influence that we were looking at, one film that influenced us, but um, an amalgam of so many different films over the years that we watched and that we enjoyed and talked about together. Um, mm-hmm. And then for the film score, that for us, we really wanted the score to have a distinct character um, feel to it that didn't just feel like it was, a conventional film score, but that it felt like it had an, its own element to it that was an extension of Sam's persona and was kind of gave you this feeling of kind of like this innocence skewed or this innocent kind of um, that that was that was off something was off about it and yeah. something was dissonant about it. And so for us, the Brian McCumber, our um, our composer, created this amazing. Uh, flute sound that just felt like the right instrument to kind of convey Sam's um, experience. And that was really exciting for us to add that new element to the film. Christopher, uh, I mean, am I off base when I say there were times when when that music just kind of jarred me into when I'm watching a scene, it it kind of, I won't say woke me up, that's the wrong way to say it, but it sort of gave me that sense of, whoa, I'm, I'm watching something I mean that it called attention to itself, I guess, in a way that it it wasn't just a a regular bed of music you hear in a scene, you know, to to sort of accentuate certain things about it. This felt of like a very different sort of um, aesthetic when when I well not for the whole film but for certain times in the film. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Like, I don't think we necessarily set out to score the movie in a way that was consciously jarring, but I think we did have. Um, a relatively non-traditional approach to how we wanted to incorporate the music in the movie um, and and the presence and the sort of feel that the music would contribute to the to the film yeah. like uh, like Lauren said it, as opposed to well I think scoring is a really interesting process because you know I think it's really easy to uh, approach scoring your movie <clears throat> where you're just trying to highlight sort of drama in a very, um, I don't know, traditional sense and like kind of uh, like help guide the audience, you know, it really kind of very quickly can become a tool to, to sort of put the audience on a track in a way to sort of walk them through an experience and sort of steer them in one way or another. And I think for, for this movie, we were really, um, trying to prioritize this idea that, um, uh, that the audience could go in any one direction in any, any given time or multiple directions at any given time, you know, mm-hmm. like that every, um, every scene and every moment and every beat and every edit and, you know, every score cue especially could be sort of interpreted in multiple sort of readings, you know, in, ter- in, in a way to help sort of keep people guessing and kind of keep them tr- sort of putting the pieces together mm-hmm. of the story. And so, so in that regard, like, the the consideration we put into like 
when to use score and how to use it was sort of always very nuanced in that in in that way. We wanted it to be a little bit unexpected to add to the mystery rather than to um, try to sort of steer people or or bring some kind of artificial clarity to the experience. It's terrific. It's terrific. All of the elements here, obviously, you put a lot of thought into it. A lot of thought went into the film. It's uh, in and and its execution as well. Um, Thank you. One, one last in last minute or so that I have with you, I, I haven't even called it any attention really to speak of to the performances your two, two leads, uh, James Friedson, Friedson Jackson and Alex uh, Pettifer, which uh, were both really very very good. Uh, and uh, James was obviously. You had, I'm sure casting must have been very difficult for this role, and you, you found the right, the right actor for it. And then Alex is terrific mm-hmm. as Nick as well. But tell me, uh, tell me just a little bit about casting uh, for this film. Um, yeah, casting uh, was very critical, as you can imagine. Like, I don't know, like, the characters have to be a lot of things all at once. You know, like, the James, who plays the 14-year-old kid, Sam, like, he has to be, you know, innocent, normal kid, but also potentially menacing, also potentially this, like, damaged victim. You know, there's just a lot of sides to the character. And same with uh, Alex Pettifer's character. He really had to be, um, you know, at once, like, kind of like a father figure, an older brother, like, very charming, very, like, um, you know, protective, but, but also potentially quite menacing. And so um, yeah. finding two actors that could that could create that dynamic and sort of but also keep an openness to how we perceive them you know um like like i was saying about all the other elements of the film like we want them to be sort of like readable in multiple sort of like uh ways in in which keep you guessing and think like alex and james just visually and sort of with their performance um really added to, to that that was like a really essential quality that we were looking for you know especially with james also like um we needed a kid that could really handle the material and handle the the sort of sophistication sort of adult nature of the material and he's just very like um precociously talented and and very like um kind of seasoned even at a young age in terms of his ability to process themes and ideas and um you know adult themes and stuff and 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 sort of perform them in a way that never feels forced, that feels very sort of like it's coming from the inside rather than a surface level interpretation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, I think we, we, we had cast Alex first, um, which when we, when we found Alex, we, we just thought he was per- perfect for the role and he, he perfectly sort of embodied all those different sides of the character. Uh, and he did, uh, he did a lot of work to to sort of dive into the character and all of his different sides. A lot more work than Laura and I did as the creators in some ways. Um, and then when we found James and we put them together, it was just like a really great a really great chemistry. Yeah, it's, they're both they're believable as as a, as brothers. They're believable as a lot of different things that the film requires them to apparently be. Um, in the film, and uh, uh, watching James uh, uh, Friedson uh, Jackson, his role, 
um, I was watching carefully to him because oftentimes with a young actor, it's, this, it's the things that are a little bit slightly off camera or when they're not talking that you kind of are kind of tells in terms of how they are handling a role. And and he was just uh, it was you're right. He seemed like a very seasoned uh, actor. He seemed very in the moment of of the performance. Uh, and, and and Alex, I've seen in other films, and I, he's absolutely a, he's a very uh, kind of charismatic presence about him. So those are that and the combination worked very well in the film. I thought. Great, thank you so much. We we're yeah, so happy that you know, people respond that way to their to their performances. Yeah, no, it's yeah, they did a great job with them, and um, all the best to you on this. Obviously, this film is now out in the world, and it can be seen um, on uh, DirecTV, as well as now in theaters uh, here in Los Angeles at the Lemley Film Center in Santa Monica. It is a uh, it is a terrific watch, and it's something that, again, um, as someone who, if you are a film, if you're a lover of film, uh, it, it will intrigue you throughout, and it will challenge you uh, to to uh, to try and uh, try to figure it out because, uh, and it and it uh, it it holds true to the end. So um, I, I want to c- congratulate you for your work here, and uh, I assume there are other things on the horizon for you. So uh, all the best. Awesome. Thank, you. Thank you so much, Mike. We really appreciate that. You're, you're welcome. Again, the film is called, <clears throat> excuse me, called The Strange Ones. We've been speaking with the co-directors, Christopher Radcliffe and Lauren Wolkstein. They also have multiple hats in, in, the, in their role in putting this film together, uh, and, uh, it, and it's a terrific watch. So look for it, and um, take care. Thanks. You too, man. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.